Amen. Take your copy of God's Word today, if you will, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, as we will focus this morning on verse 10 in particular. But notice how our Lord comes to us and how He teaches us how to pray. Remember, His disciples had noticed something about His life. There was something special about Jesus. There's something special about His prayer life. There's something special about the way He talks to God. And the disciples say, Jesus, we'd like to pray like that. We'd like to talk to God the way you talk to God. We'd like to communicate with Him. We'd like to have this sense of fellowship with Him. And Jesus looks at them and He says, this is how you pray. This is the manner in which you approach God. And He says, all you've got to do is approach Him in this manner. He says, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come... Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So basically what he says is you can come to him in this intimate relationship. You can come to him as our father. And and Jesus starts there appropriately, I think, saying that you have a connection with God and you can come to him in such an intimate relationship. But then as we saw last week, really Jesus shifts just a little bit. He says, you come to him as father, you come to him in this intimate relationship, but you also recognize that this imminent God is also a distant God. He is a transcendent God. He is our father, which art in heaven. And his name, his personhood should be holy, should be hallowed before all people. That's the way Jesus framed it here in the beginning. And then... He says we are to pray about the kingdom, particularly that the kingdom would come. Now, that's the phrase I want to focus on this morning. That next phrase, thy will be done, certainly plays into this same idea. But I want to focus this morning specifically on thy kingdom come. And I want to talk to you about this larger perspective that we can have in our prayer life. Larger purpose that we can have in our prayer life. That somehow we can offer kingdom prayers to God. Now listen, I am grateful that I have a God who is attentive to who I am, to my specific needs. He knows what's happening in my life and He cares about me. I am thankful to have that type of God, aren't you? I am thankful I can come to Him And I can share with him what's on my heart and in my life. And I'm thankful he cares. But I'm also thankful that my prayers do not have to revolve just around my needs or my interests. But somehow my prayers can take on a bigger picture. A larger perspective. Instead of just always praying about me. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I said God is concerned about who I am. And he's going to be concerned about our daily bread. We're going to talk about that. But notice here, Jesus focuses us just for a moment. Yes, on the holiness of God. But then he says, there is a larger picture that we ought to be praying for, that we ought to be attentive to. We ought to be offering kingdom prayers. You know, I I am thankful, as I said, that God is concerned about me. But I'm also thankful that God is concerned about you. And God is concerned about this whole world. 
And that somehow we can come to him and recognize that larger perspective. Now listen, I do think about the issues facing me. That's usually the, the first thing I think about. I'll be honest. If I'm going to talk to God about something, most likely it is something that is affecting me at the moment. Kind of like your stares at me on Sunday morning. <laughs> Empty stares, may I say, this morning. Whatever's on my heart, I, I will talk to him about it. And, and sometimes I'll go to him and I'll pour out my heart and I'll pour out the problems. I'll pour out the different things. And... But isn't it nice sometimes to know or to focus not just on the problems and on the temporal things that we see around us. Isn't it okay every now and then just to get lost into the majesty and the glory of God? I am proud sometimes when I come here, just for a few moments, that we can take a break from all of the stuff that we see and we can get caught up in the worship, in the adoration of God's glory and majesty of who He is in our lives. And I think sometimes in our prayer life, we, we need to focus in a similar way. Instead of always focusing on ourselves, focusing upon the kingdom and the kingdom perspective. And that's what Jesus is saying. He is saying, thy kingdom come. So let me offer this to you this morning. When we come to God in our prayers, we need to recognize both a kingdom and a king. When I come to pray before him, I need to recognize, I need to realize that there is both a kingdom and a king. He said, thy kingdom come. Throughout the gospels, whether it's Jesus or the gospel writers themselves, there's this constant use of kingdom language. It's about the kingdom. Whether it's John the Baptist saying... <laughs> Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. If it's out of Jesus' mouth, as he speaks those words verbatim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All throughout the Gospels, all throughout Jesus' life, there's something very significant about the kingdom of God. There's something significant about this idea of kingdom. Now, in the New Testament, and really in the New Testament world, this word kingdom referred to a territory that was ruled by a sovereign, a territory that was ruled by this king, this monarch. So when you come to this, you think about there's a kingdom, okay? There's got to be a kingdom, and this kingdom is ruled by God. So we recognize that there is a kingdom. We recognize there is a rule, that there is a reign. Now, I believe... As I look at this New Testament word, as I dig into it, and as I see the way it's used in, here in the New Testament, that somehow this kingdom refers to the rule and reign of Christ Jesus in our hearts and lives. Specifically, that is the kingdom, his rule over us. Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. Other gospel writers use the phrase kingdom of God. Matthew uses kingdom of heaven because of his deference to the Jewish audience in which he's writing. In other words, he doesn't want to use even the name of God because he is afraid it might offend the Jewish readers. 
But both of them are the same. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Both of them speak to the rule and the reign of our God. So we recognize that there is a kingdom. And if we have had faith and trust in him, that means we're part of a kingdom. We're part of the kingdom of God right now. And notice this. There is both a kingdom and a king. So if there is a kingdom, there's got to be a king. Would you agree with me on that? I mean, to have a rule, a reign of a certain territory, a certain area, you've got to have this individual, this monarch, this ruler, this king. There is a king. Who is the king? God, Jesus Christ. Notice, your kingdom come. Yours. Father, God, your kingdom is the one that we want to see. Now, there are a lot of folks, a lot of folks that are out there building kingdoms. A lot of folks doing that. And to be honest with you, sometimes it can infect our heart, that same type of philosophy. And before we know it, we can be building our own kingdoms. I've seen people constantly, you know, trying to climb in a social or financial ladder to build a kingdom. All of us, if we're not careful, can somehow attempt to build our own kingdoms, our own names for ourselves, even a church. But this is about the kingdom of God. God's kingdom as it relates to us. He is our king. This last Friday, I hate to get into this, but I'm going to go ahead and ask. No, I'm not going to ask. Keep that question myself. Let me just make a comment. This last Friday, many of us viewed an inauguration. And I don't care what kind of political spectrum you're on, and we do have different people across the political spectrum here in this place. I don't care what type of political spectrum you find yourself on. I think it is an amazing thing to know that we can have a peaceful transfer of power, that somehow we can celebrate what what God has done in our nation by giving us the freedom that we have. I'm thankful that I live in a democracy. Thankful I have the freedom to stand here this morning. Thankful that we can do so much in the freedom that God has given us. So I am thankful. Listen to me. I am thankful for the freedom. I am thankful that I live in a democracy. But don't transfer that idea to the kingdom of God. You and I, when we step into the kingdom of God, when we give our hearts and lives to Christ Jesus, you and I are not entering into a democracy. We're entering into a kingdom. And in the kingdom, the king is the one who tells us what we should do. Listen to me. We don't come and say, we would like to vote on the legislation that defines the morality of our people. No. You and I don't get to make those decisions. Well, we'd like to choose our own type of leaderships in the kingdom. No. We are part of the kingdom. And if we're part of the kingdom, that means our allegiance is to one individual, to the king himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who makes the decisions. So often in the scripture, 
So often in the New Testament in particular, you see the disciples referring to themselves as servants or even slaves. Because they recognize that being part of the kingdom, they are not there to command, but they are there to serve the king. That is the image that we see of the kingdom. That is the biblical image that we see of the kingdom. We are to serve the king. We recognize it is his kingdom. Now the kingdom and the church really are two different things in a sense. The kingdom, the rule of God, of the hearts of men... But it certainly includes the church. And may I say to you that when we think about the church, there is no true earthly leader. Even when we think of Temple Baptist Church, I am thankful to hold the role as pastor. I am thankful we have deacons. I am thankful we have Sunday school teachers who provide some type of earthly leadership. I know that. But ultimately, may we ultimately confess this as a people here at Temple is that our king is not some pastor, our king is not some deacon, our king is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're part of the kingdom. And God has called us to follow him and to serve him in everything we do. Now, the people of Israel, they were looking for a king. They were. As a matter of fact, they wanted the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. Acts chapter 1, verse 6, Jesus ascending into heaven. His disciples look at him, and what do they say? His disciples say, Is this the time when you will establish or restore, that is, the kingdom of Israel? It was almost like they had still missed out on some of the message that Jesus had brought. They were still thinking there's going to be this restoration of the kingdom of Israel. They were going to somehow see the removal of the Roman rule. There was going to be, again, this theocracy instituted. There would be great leaders again and somehow great independence for Israel. That's really what the the expectation of the Messiah was about. The Old Testament, they wanted a Messiah, an anointed one the king who would come and lead them in such a way and that they would see the nation restored, the kingdom restored. Well, Jesus brought the true restoration of Israel and he brought forth a new community called the church. Jesus did that. The king. Remember, he is the Messiah. He may not fulfill their expectations of a political military warrior, but he is fulfilling the expectations of the Father who will come and who will lead his people out of their sins into salvation. That is his claim to kingship. That is what we say when we say Jesus is Lord. Remember the earliest confession of faith for the believers? The earliest confession of faith for church, the church believers, for those who are be baptized, is that Jesus is Lord. That's what you had to say. You had to make that confession. It was very poignant because that day, in that time, most people would 
proclaim that Caesar is Lord, that Caesar is the supreme ruler. He is the one we have to follow. But as those early Christians would find out, as they would stand in those audiences and people would shout, Caesar is Lord. Those early believers would shout back, no, Jesus is Lord. He is the king. He is our king. Again, I am thankful for my citizenship here. I am thankful for the democracy that God has given me here in this nation. But friends, don't mistake this. My ultimate citizenship is a heavenly citizenship. Just as Paul wrote to the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven, our citizenship is in the kingdom of God, and that supersedes every other citizenship. He is our king. Thy kingdom come. That means that we want the kingdom, that which we are a part of, we want it to be realized, but we want the king himself to be worshipped and adored and obeyed. The king. Some months ago, I was at an event here in the state, and there was a preacher, writer, ethicist from over in the Dallas area. He went to Southwestern, so I'm not sure about his ethics, but he was a good preacher and a good teacher. And he said something, and you've heard me maybe mention it before. You may have seen me write about it in the tidings, but he asked a question to his audience that day, of which I was a part. And it was a question that struck me. He looked at us knowing most of us were believers. And he said to us, Is Jesus your king or is Jesus your hobby? Now it struck me. That may not have struck you in the same way. Maybe I was at a different place in my spiritual life. Maybe it was just the way God anointed those words for the morning. But those words have stuck with me. Because many of us have acknowledged him as king or we've come to that point and we said, yes, we believe you're the king. We want you to come in our hearts and save us. But the question would be, do we continue to live as if he is the king of our lives? What is a hobby? A hobby is something that you do and maybe you even enjoy. You just kind of do it on the side. You know, some of you, uh, some of you may fish. Some of you may golf. Sorry for you, but some of you may do that. Some of you may hunt. Some of you may just spend time with the family. Those are all good things, wonderful things, good hobbies, aren't they? Yes, thank you. thought a couple guys would have the courage to say that. It is about the close of hunting season, so some of you should have a reprieve right now. But those, those are good things. You enjoy them. But too often in our lives, what we have done as believers, we've made Jesus our hobby, not our king. He's, he's one that, yes, Sunday morning we come because, hey, that's kind of what we do. And, you know, and we'll go to him when we need something and we'll enjoy him every now and then. But we have almost pushed him to the side. That is not the way the kingdom should be. The kingdom, when you're a part of, the, when you're a part of this kingdom, 
special community of believers, when you're a part of the kingdom, every day of your life should be to live for the king. Every day of your life should be, Master, what would you have me to do? Every day should somehow involve the king's leadership in your life. He is not just a hobby. He is the king of the kingdom. So first when we come, we recognize that, hey, our prayers are not just about ourselves. It is about this great kingdom and this great king that we serve. And then we pray specifically. We pray specifically for the kingdom of God to be realized here on this earth. For that kingdom to come to actuality here on this earth. Thy kingdom come. Now I want to share with you a couple ways in which we want to pray for that kingdom to be manifest and realized here on this earth. And maybe I need to take you back for a moment of this understanding of the kingdom. Theologians have often said that the kingdom is one of those things that has already come, but not yet come. They refer to this phrase, already, not yet. Because it is this dual type of relationship that we're living in today. In a way, the kingdom has come. Remember what John the Baptist said. Remember what Jesus said that I gave you a moment ago. Both of those individuals said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, it is very near. Now we understand as we look back upon those words that what John was saying, really what Jesus himself was saying, is that the kingdom is drawn near because of Christ Jesus. As Jesus Christ stepped on this earth, he brought with him this new sense of kingdom, this kingdom itself. What is he going to establish? He's going to establish a kingdom. And here he is embodying the kingdom, showing us what it's like to truly follow the king. So in some ways, he brought the kingdom. And for those of us, again, who have had faith and trust... Today, we know that we're part of the kingdom already. In some ways, the kingdom has come. But what we pray is that that kingdom would be realized, that it would be realized throughout this world. And that people would come to submit themselves willingly to the king above. So when we pray thy kingdom come, we are praying in some way, God, bring your kingdom to people's hearts and lives. Matthew 13 is filled with parables about the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like this. And then he gave us a parable or a story or some kind of analogy to help us to understand the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus said, Again, the kingdom of heaven 
is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he, is, he has and buys that field. He said it, the kingdom of God is like this. It's kind of like when you go and you, you find a treasure and you realize that it's the most important thing that you could ever find, the most valuable thing, then you very willingly go and just sell everything you have so you can get that field and that treasure. It is that valuable. It is that significant. It is that important to you. He gives a parable right after that that really reaffirms that sense of value. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. He says, when you really think about the kingdom of heaven and how you can be a part of it, you recognize it's the most important thing in your life, the most significant, the most valuable, the thing to be treasured and nurtured, the kingdom. Friends, those of us who have come and we've accepted Jesus Christ and we're part of the kingdom, it ought to be the most valuable thing that we've ever found. It ought to be the most meaningful thing for our lives. All other things, everything else that we find here on this earth should pale in comparison to our participation in the kingdom of God. And if that is so important to you, if you and I are so caught up in the kingdom, then that means that we pray that other people would know what the kingdom life was like as well. We should pray that the kingdom would come in our family life, in our friends, and even those people around the world that we do not even know. We should pray that they would know the most valuable thing, the most treasured thing that they could ever experience. The kingdom of heaven. We should pray that somehow it would work itself out all around this globe, his kingdom. His rule, his reign. Now don't get me wrong. Listen to me this morning. I believe our God is in charge always. I believe he is in charge of the affairs of men and women. I believe our king sits on the throne. But I also know that we live in a fallen, broken world where he allows, well, he allows the, our fallenness to have its consequences. I pray, though, that in the midst of the fallen world, that somehow the kingdom would be expanded and that people would give themselves to the king so that they can know the value and the treasure that we know. That it would just work itself out. Matthew 13, again, there are a couple of parables here I'm just going to mention. One is the parable of the mustard seed. Which it says a man took and he sowed and when he did it, it grew. And it was like the least of the seeds. Now, this mustard seed's a little different from ours. It's still small, but it's a little different from ours, okay? It says that when it was when it was planted, just a small little seed, all of a sudden it would grow up and it would be like this tree that birds could come nest in. You think that's good fertile soil over in Israel, right? You never seen mustard grow that high before. I'd love just to enjoy 
that, that type of mustard, I think. It's a different type. It's a different type, obviously, than what we have. But the idea is that it was small, and then all of a sudden it grew up. The kingdom of God, in so many ways, it's just like a seed. The gospel itself is just like a seed. It's so small, seemingly, and yet it is so powerful when it has its full effect. When the harvest comes, the kingdom of God makes a difference all around the world. He uses another parable. He says it's like leaven that's placed in meal. And before you know it, the leaven has somehow worked its way throughout all of that meal. For us, we ought to pray that we would allow the gospel to go forth in such a way that it would work through people's hearts and lives, that the kingdom would come. So I say to you when we pray that the kingdom would come, I I do think it's twofold. I think Jesus meant it in this way, that in a sense, we recognize that it has come, that we're a part of it, and that we want to see it come in people's hearts and lives around us. So that's what we're praying. But also... We believe that it looks toward the future. Thy kingdom come. Lord, we long for the day. We long for the day when every individual, every person will submit to your kingship. We look forward to the day when the kingdom comes and there is removal of all the fallenness and all of the sin. There's removal of all the consequences. There's removal of the difficult things we face in this life. There is no more sickness. There is no more death. There is no more broken relationship. There is no more who stand against you. And our heart longs for that day and we pray. Again, Jesus tells the parable in Matthew 13, a parable of the wheat and the tares. Speaking about how a man goes out, plants wheat, he comes back out, he noticed that somewhere during the night, the seeds of the tares were planted, and they have grown up together. Jesus speaks to this parable, and this is what he says. He says, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He says there's coming a day when Jesus Christ will come again. And he'll consummate this kingdom. He'll consummate it. Why has Jesus not come already? I mean, the early apostles... The believers, they looked longingly for it. They prayed for it. Well, there are different ways, reasons. Peter tells us about timing and our time's not God's time and all those kinds of things. But one of the things he says in particular is this. One of the reasons that Jesus has not come is because he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance in him. 
You know, one of the reasons Jesus has not come is because maybe of you in this place because you've not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. One of the reasons Jesus has not come is because some of our family members are lost and he is giving them time and grace to come to know him. One of the reasons he's not come is so that we could get to the nations. Remember, he even said that the, nation, the gospel would go to the nations and then his coming would happen. By his grace, he has allowed people to continue to come into the kingdom. And one day, one day, Jesus will step out on those clouds. One day, the grace that had been extended will come to an end. And Jesus will come. What a day that will be. For those of us who are believers, just as I said a moment ago, that our king would show his strength and his power and consummate his kingdom, what a day that's going to be. And don't be fooled into thinking it's not going to happen. My friends, it will happen. It may be tomorrow. It may be a thousand years from now. But I say to you that Jesus Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will establish and consummate his true kingdom here on this earth. Just as the revelator said, as he recorded the seventh angel, and the seventh angel with loud voices in heaven spoke, said the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. It will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, even those who have stood against him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King. Until that day, we should go proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, letting people know that they can be a part of what God has done through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. And we should pray. We should pray that His kingdom would come. So many days in my heart, when I see the brokenness and the fallenness of this world, I join with John. When I get caught up in these heavenly scenes, when I get caught up in his majesty and his grandeur, I join with John the Revelator. And I pray, even so, come Lord Jesus. Today, would you join me in praying for the kingdom? Would you join me in praying that the kingdom would be realized just as we submit to the king himself that the kingdom would be realized here on this earth? And would you join me in praying that Jesus Christ would come and that he would set all things right for us to experience the goodness and the graciousness of this new kingdom he has in store for us all. Let's pray together. Father, first of all, we thank you that you have allowed us to come into the kingdom. Lord, we did not deserve it. We did not work enough. We did not have the right pedigree or background. 
But God, you brought us in. Lord, you crossed geographical, ethnic barriers to come and get us. And God, how we praise you for allowing us to be a part of the kingdom. And today we adore you. We worship you as our king. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would be known across this land and across this world. Father, I pray for those who are lost in our family, those who are lost in our friends, those who are lost across this globe, Lord, that you would work in your own way to give them the good news of the kingdom. God, I pray that they would come to faith before it's eternally too late. And God, today I do pray with my brothers and sisters here in unison, Lord, we pray. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Lord, help us live for eternity. Help us to live for you. In Jesus' name.